Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a hot topic episode today for you. Um, I I really do my best. Uh, we, we really try not to do a whole lot of these kinds of episodes because generally speaking, um, you know, the body of Christ needs to be encouraged. Foundational doctrines is something I think just really lack in the church culture in the West today. And so we do try to focus mostly on that. But like every now and then topics come up um, that are, cause little windstorms uh, that are, are good to talk about. And I think that's the case uh, today. And it's really over um, eschatology. Maybe we'll kind of get into that sort of the post-millennial yeah. view of um, where you should live and where you shouldn't live and talk about uh, blue states and red states and just sort of that whole thing. If you aren't familiar with that com uh, that conversation, then God bless you. Um, just skip right over this podcast. Maybe your <laughs> life will be better for it. Um, just go to the the next one, or you know. But um, but it is a conversation that I think it it's going to keep coming up because there's there's been a renewed interest in eschatology, and I know a lot of people are saying um, these things aren't about eschatology, but I I think that's just. Um, not a, a a clear understanding of where this mindset comes from. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Eki and uh, kind of let you drive this because I've sort of been in the middle of some of these uh, more recent ones. And um, and maybe we can just help folks uh, get a better grasp on why are we talking about red states, blue states, where you can and can't live or you know, that kind of thing as Christians, you know, what should our focus be? Is this the right kind of uh, focus or are we off here sort of thing? What What's your, uh, jump us into it, Eki. Yeah, I, I think um, that's probably a good place to start. It's really the whole discussion about red states, blue states, and whether Christians who live in blue states should move to um, red states um, with, the, um, with the idea that uh, you're going to be better off and also in in terms of um, kind of voting, um, there's a better chance uh, of the um, of the right platform winning. Um, so obviously, the last election, uh, when Biden uh, defeated uh, Donald Trump, there were five battleground states uh, where it, it was very close, and all of them fell to the side of um, Biden in terms of the overall voting. And part of the argument is that if more of the um, conservative Christians from those blue states had moved to populate some of those red states, um, the outcome could have been different and we could have avoided a lot of what we see here today. Now, this has sparked uh, a huge discussion. I do believe that eschatology is involved, but I don't believe that it is necessarily has to be about eschatology. So let me take a step back. So I am in the state of California. Um, the state of California is notoriously corrupt and just morally bankrupt. Uh, we have uh, who I would argue one of the two or three worst governors in the nation and very progressive, uh, very, uh, very God-hating. 
um, in his policies and and uh, tries to be as progressive and, and leftist as he can in all of his policies. And we're in the midst right now where they're trying to push a law here in California where um, children who are 12 years old um, have the right to divorce their parents. And I think the goal behind this is to protect trans kids. And obviously, there's been a big movement that's been ongoing for a number of years uh, for kids to be um, educated on trans uh, transgender ideology from a very young age. Uh, there was a picture from Senator um, Scott Weiner going around where he's holding up a book called uh, Gender Something. But I, I think it's it's geared towards kids and it's meant meant to to teach them more about uh, just just transgenderness. And of course, all of this um, is what I would call sexual deviancy. So anyway, uh, long story short, um, the question is, what should you do if you're in the state of California? Should you leave the state of California? And full disclosure, before me and my wife came to Brawley, California, which is where we're at, we were looking to leave California um, because even back in 2019, we could see the direction that it was going in. Uh, we didn't want to be in a place that taxed us so highly and and, and was pushing the things that they were pushing. Um, but well, obviously, we didn't make that an overall restrictive uh, requirement because we ended up um, accepting the call. I accepted the call to come down here uh, to be the pastor of, of a church here in Brawley. And I'm thankful that uh, not only that I'm here, but I'm away from the bigger cities where a lot of this insanity takes place. So uh, a lot of this discussion about whether Christians should move out of the blue states into the red states, I think where we both, I think we both would agree with this. Um, this should not be a place to bind other people's conscience. And Nathaniel, I know you had, I think it was a 13-part tweet where you used uh, the yeah. example of Ephesus. I thought it was a great tweet. Uh, a lot of people took exception to it. And I ended up uh, debating a few that that kept arguing that you were basically calling everyone who um, who leaves not a real Christian, um, because at some point you mentioned real Christians come and, and they proclaim the gospel in, in such areas. And, uh, and that wasn't the case at all. That that 13th part tweet, yeah. in at least three different places, you made clear that you were addressing the notion of whether a Christian should leave, not whether the uh, a Christian has the right to leave. In fact, yeah. it, there was yeah. one place where you actually directly addressed it, and you said, I'm not saying that a Christian can't leave You know, if he feels that's the best decision for him and his family. So I think that's, um, that, that's where the issue is. Some of it, I think, is going to be individual decisions. That I think the the, the the husband and the wife, especially when you have a family, you're going to have to come together, take a look at what's going on. Um, how does this affect your family? How does this affect your work? How does this affect your, your livelihood? And are you going to be in a position where this is going to hurt you? Um, or are you going to, or, or do you think that there's a better place that you can go where your children will be able to be raised uh, with a with a, a much more solid Christian education without being exposed to all of these what I would call truly doctrine of demons uh, from the world? So I think there's that aspect of it, and that is a legitimate um, consideration. Yeah, and and that part has nothing to do with eschatology at all. Um, but then there's another part where there's a strategic argument being made. Where it says, okay, you as a Christian um, should leave uh, so that you can be strategic about the battles that you fight for the, really for the, um, I, I guess, to, uh, I'm not saying that they're using this word directly, but I'm saying basically to save America, right? To save America or, or yeah, to make yeah. America a more Christianized place. So that there's, there's, people that are making strategic arguments that Christians should do these things in order to better position. America as a whole um, to advancing 
uh, the, the the Christian kingdom. And, and I think that's where eschatology starts to come into play. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, if for those who are familiar with that tweet I, I put out, um, I, I mean, two like big things is one, I, there's a tendency on Twitter to um, when you see a tweet that's in opposition to a view or an idea uh, to assume that that oppositional tweet is directly attacking whatever your favorite person or preacher is who also holds that view, right? Um, so there there are problems when we do that because one is you have to make some assumptions about motives and uh, you know subtweeting and things like that. Um, so that post that I made and and I'll I'll bring up some names in a few moments, but it was not directly to address any specific person because there are I mean I I see it all the time numerous Christians who have taken this view. Um, of what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. And so it's much broader than one person. Um, if I had to narrow down kind of a central figurehead uh, of where these this kind of mindset is coming from, I would probably, and I'm just kind of off the cuff thinking about this, I, I would probably ultimately link it to Doug Wilson. Um, he, he's not saying a bunch of quite the exact same things, but I would say that he would be the platform person just because of his eschatological views, his views on on strategy in terms of taking tape, uh, states and politics. Um, I, I think he has a, a, a different view of a lot of people uh, in, in how he would express these things. Um, and, and I'm certainly not talking about Doug Wilson in in these tweets. So that would be one thing. Right. So for all the people who are like, oh, you're attacking so and so, you're wrong. I'm I'm attacking a view that I think is problematic. Uh and then the second thing would be, you're right, in in tweet number nine, uh, I, I do this in yeah. several ones, right? But I, I yeah. say specifically, this is not to say that individuals can't decide that moving is the best thing for their family. Right. Um, and so what what was this whole tweet about? Well, I've come to uh, uh to understand that. Uh, there's a pastor named Joel Webin. I hope I'm saying his last name right. If not, I'm sorry. Um, who also holds this view. And I know he's been tweeting similar things about kind of strategy and taking states and this sort of thing. But in my mind, he's just one of a whole lot of people who have that view, right? Um, so uh, unless I specifically retweet a person like um, I, I have, I've, I've retweeted some of the things he said, at least one thing. Um, and commented on, you can just generally assume I'm not subtweeting people. Uh, there was a time when I started Twitter that I got involved in subtweeting people because I thought, well, hey, it's kind of a better way to deal with the issue. And and then uh, I, I haven't done that in a long time because it kind of seems a bit underhanded the more I thought about it. I, I'm not sure that's necessarily true. This is just my conviction. So yeah. if I'm going to if I'm going to say a person is wrong. Uh, I'm probably just going to tweet about the person, right? Um, but when a view is held largely by many people, I like to just deal with the view, right? So that yeah, right. I, it doesn't become about a person. Uh, I, as far as I know, Joel Webin is a brother of Christ. In, in Christ, mm -hmm. I have no animosity towards him. I think his views are kind of dangerous for the church. Um, but I'm not going to go as far at this stage with the information I have to say he's a wolf, um, I think there are just some real concerning things, some problematic views. 
but I, I still consider him a brother in, in Christ. Um, and so I think that's important to say, right? Uh, because folks will, will want to know about that. Um, yeah. So let's get into this view. Uh, and, and I think we're both probably on the same page in terms of why we believe the way we do. Uh, and I think ultimately eschatology is at the root of it. Um, and, and like you've said, the reason is because the moment you, you take a post-mill position, especially uh, uh, this sort of neo-post-millennialism, right? Um, I, I hear guys talk about the Puritans, but I assure you, um, pick up any one of 50 Puritan books and you won't hear anything about strategies of taking over the country you're going to hear a lot about personal holiness. You're going to hear a lot about Christ and Christ-centeredness. You're just not going to see what we see today. Uh, and so what we have today is a different form of, of post-millennialism. You don't have to like that. It's just true. Um, but this view is kind of, you know, if we were to simplify it and say the view that the kingdom is already here and we should be increasingly seeing righteousness in the land, and it's in part our responsibility to um to to help that come into fruition then you get into political strategy and this is where i think we probably both take exception to this view um i i do not believe that it is our role as christians nor our role as the church to be concerned primarily with politically maneuvering so that we can see things become more christian and in my mind, when that becomes the primary view, and I would argue that is the primary concern of post-millennials today, uh, or those who take that view, when that becomes the view, I would say you've crossed the line to adopting worldly strategies and worldly ways of viewing things that that uh, cross the line of what's biblical or what our focus of the church has been. I'm not demonizing anyone. I'm just saying you've gotten you've made you've made a left turn when you should have stayed straight uh is is kind of my view talk to that does that make sense is that yeah clear? yeah <clears throat> and, and we just uh yeah we just had uh jim osmond on the uh, on the podcast yesterday where by the way for those listening we're we're recording multiple episodes back to back to back um but uh, jim osmond i thought I, I asked him the same question about politics and i thought he had a really great answer um because yeah. he he clearly um initially started speaking against this over politicization of, of Christianity and 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 thinking that uh, hey we need to put all of our weight behind certain candidates or or whatnot and so I asked him the question so do you believe we should be apolitical what is the Christian approach to to politics and um, he actually said and I think this would surprise a lot of people that heard his initial remarks he actually said that he believes that a Christian should be as involved as possible without mm-hmm. um, disrupting their priorities upon the kingdom of God. Um, the the gospel, the you know, proclaiming the gospel and 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 building up the church and and that kind of thing. So he he says that uh, it's um, the responsibility of Christians to be a responsible voter, to know the issues, um, and you know that doesn't mean that he goes and tells his congregation how to vote. He doesn't you know he doesn't distribute voter packets. But, uh, explains all the issues and whatnot. He believes that each uh, each Christian should take that responsibility upon um, him or herself. But but he does. Um, seek to understand the issues and vote in a way that is most consistent with uh, Christian principles. And while we say that uh, that politics is not <clears throat> is not where the, the Christian finds salvation, right? We we don't find our Messiah through politics. And and I'm not trying to create a straw man. I don't think anyone would actually say that. 
But I think yeah. what we would argue is that sometimes a person can act like that, even if they're not directly yeah. saying that. Now, for me, I'm pre-mill. I'll just put it right out there. Um, Nathaniel, you're a-mill. Um, you are yeah. considering the, the pre-mill position, but you are a-mill. I'm pre-mill. Pre-mill often referred to as the loser eschatology um, because we're often um, you know, maligned as those who are completely apolitical. We turn our back. We're the one, we're the reasons why um, people have uh, been allowed to get more and more wicked. Government's gotten more and more wicked. And yet just um, last week, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, um, I had received news that our local city, uh, the city of Brawley, there was a proposal coming up at the city council meeting to have the city of, Bra of Brawley recognize Pride Month in the month of June. And I could not be at that meeting. I, I found out about it like a day in advance. And, and I, yeah. so I heard that it was coming up in the meeting. I was asked if I could be there. I couldn't be there. So, but I, I immediately wrote a letter to the city council and it was like a two and a half page letter ends up getting published by our local newspaper. And basically I am calling for them to stand upon the truth. And obviously I do make a biblical argument for why I stand against this, but I also show even if you're not a Christian, this affects you also. So I talked about just the various attacks um, that happened with the with the LGBTQ, uh, the current attack from from transgenderism, and and really this push for what we call quote unquote minor attracted persons, which is really just a euphemism for pedophilia, yeah. right? So so we yeah. if if we as a city, and, and I'm recognizing I'm not addressing a Christian city, but if we as a city want to protect our youth, then we must make a stand. Now, fortunately. There were a vast majority of people who showed up who um, felt the same way. And so when the city council um, had this discussion, they heard mostly from people that did not want Pride Month to be recognized. Mm -hmm. And at the end, when someone made a motion to vote on it, he was not able to get able to get a second. And so it basically just died right there on the spot. Now, I bring up this example for this reason. Um, though I am pre-mill, and though I believe things get worse and Jesus Christ is going to come back to be the one to restore all things, it does not mean I turn a blind eye to, towards what's happening in the world. And when the COVID shutdown happened, we know that John MacArthur stood as a shining example yeah. of someone who is willing to stand against the government. In fact, <clears throat> one of our mutual friends, uh, Jeff Wright, um, who is a post mill, and, and he does he he does support um, kind of this uh, this this thinking that you're describing here. Um, but he's a good brother in Christ. But he pointed out that hey, John MacArthur, he has fought for Christian education. He stood against the government, this and that, and and he basically came to the conclusion of I don't care what eschatology John MacArthur is. Um, that's a man that that we can look up to. And I say amen yeah. and amen. And even though John MacArthur is not post mill, he still stood up for all the right things and. Hey, I was saved at that church. He's a model for me, and in many ways, I know he's a model for you. And and so, yeah. just because we are pro pre mill, or in your case, ah mill, it doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye. Now, let me address one other thing too. I, I did say that this is that this appears to be primarily a post mill position in terms of this strategizing. I do realize that there are ah mills out there. So there are those who are ah mill that say, well, no, it's not just post mill. We as ah mill feel this way too. And the argument there being that it is our goal to Christianize mm -hmm. America, and they would say Christianize America by making uh, America as as fertile as possible for sharing the gospel, sharing, sharing the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, where if we don't do anything about what's going on right now, um, we're going to soon reach a, a state where, you know, when we look at um, London, for example, 
preachers are being arrested just for proclaiming Christ, mm. right? Yeah. So there, yeah. there's that argument, and, and I understand that as well. But just because I'm not on that side doesn't mean that I don't stand up for what is right and true. And in your case, um, you've yeah. gone and you've been at uh, those pride parades. Um, I, I think you did some. Was there a drag queen story hour at, at the library that you went and protested one time or something like that? Yeah, it was a it was a city hall meeting about LGBTQ books in the in wow. the children's section. And I went and spoke at that. Um, at, at the city hall meeting. So yeah, so so the, these are all examples of us that though we do not take this position that we're supposed to work through politics or or try to strategize for the sake of politics, um, we we also are not the ones to say that hey we should just turn a blind eye, never say anything, never stand up for truth, never do any of those things. We're also not yeah. people that say that you shouldn't vote, that you should be completely apolitical. There are people who are out there and they criticize me quite often when. The elections come around and I make political statements. They say, well, you know, you're evil because both sides are satanic and this and that, and yeah. you should just focus on just preaching the gospel. Um, I don't say that either. I think the priority needs to be preaching the gospel. But we as the church, we are to be light and salt in the world, and yeah. we are to do what we can to be light and salt. So even though I do believe that things will continue to get worse and worse and worse, and, and the current state is not simply because of that attitude— um, though I believe things are to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. The way we glorify God is to make sure that even though everyone else is spiraling downwards, that we're doing everything we can, not only to stand upon the truth, but doing everything we can to preserve what is good in society. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's important where we're talking about these things um, and strategies and stuff to understand what these eschatological views actually teach and not just what, um, you know, some person on the street who claims to be this or that is doing, right? And and a lot of it is that. What, what do I mean? Well, so uh, let, let's just use most of our hearers or will be reformed, at least in their soteriology. Um, let's just say, you know, someone says, well, you know, I could never be a Calvinist because uh, I met this guy who doesn't believe in evangelizing because yeah, people are just right. going to go to heaven or hell no matter what. Well, right. then all of us would respond hope by at least thinking, well, that's not what that's not what the doctrines that we call Calvinism teach. Right? right. This is a person who doesn't understand the doctrines who are saying that's what they believe. And this is really what's happening in a significant way when it comes to the eschatological uh discussion. Because none of the the views, none of the views. Uh, whether you're post-mill, pre-mill, amill, none of them teach total abstinence from being involved in day-to-day -day secular life. Not a single one of them. Yeah. So it's in some cases, it's mm. disingenuous um, to, to talk about pre-mill, especially as being loser theology. Uh, a lot of cases, I think it's ignorance because people have heard that being said, and they just yeah. assume it must be true. And some of it is slanderous, people who know better, and they're saying that anyway. Again, MacArthur would be like the penultimate example, Example, right? Uh, I, I mean, he, not only is, it, is he a pre-mill guy, but he's firmly, if you're not pre-mill, you don't understand at least the book of Isaiah, I think it is. Uh, yeah. or, or, no, what is it? Ezekiel. Um, yep. You know. Zechariah. You know, Zechariah. Yeah. Zechariah. That's it. Zechariah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he not only is he pre-mill, but he takes a this is what you should be if you understand your Bible view, um, which is fine. That's not offensive to me as an Amil guy. Um, but 
it, it, look at look at what his theology produces, not just in his own life, but the life of his church. Right. Right. So clearly, that's not what the view teaches. So now, how do we get into these back and forth debates debates with um, all, all these various post mill guys? Um, and, and and again, the reason I'm not attaching onto one person is because I I would just tell you I don't see a specific um, leader in this group of people. I think there are a lot of people who are trying to contribute, and and there's not a single person to point to. That's my opinion. Uh, so I refuse to give someone that status at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so when you have these back and forth, and you start talking about okay, well. As Christians, we need to um, think about how to uh, strategize, and so therefore people should leave these absolutely, totally lost blue states. And look, I whole I I, I watched a, a clip of of Joel Webin making this argument, okay, um, that it was worth leaving uh, blue states that were totally lost. And and I'm trying to recall and represent his his view fairly. Yeah. Um, that states like California that would be totally lost, right? Like, and he's right. You're not going to turn California into a red state. Right. I think it's foolish right. to think about that. Right. So so he's got Agreed. that right right on the head. Um, so his argument, as I understood it, was it makes sense if Christians kind of wholesale pull out, um, let the state collapse. He said this, and then send yeah. in. It was either your great grandchildren or grandchildren to retake it over after it collapsed. Now he said yeah. this on an interview and I believe it was one with Doug Wilson. Um admittedly it sounded like on that interview he was still trying to figure out whether he was all mill post mill whatever mill he was working through some things but that was the view he expressed. So this is the problem that I I would say uh biblically with that kind of view. You, you see the moment you start talking that way now, your focus is on worldly politic. And what's happening, because you, you're talking about red states, blue states, that has nothing to do with Christianity. That's purely politics. And I think we've got to fair, be fair and recognize that um, it, it, there are plenty of red states. In fact, I'm not sure if there's a single one currently, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Eki, that you know of, that has totally abolished abortion in all ways. I don't think there's a single state that's done that if I'm if I'm if I recall I'd have, correctly. Yeah, yeah, I know there's a number um, of states that have taken action but they I have don't limitations. Know if it's complete abolition. Right. Yeah, they have limitations, right. yeah. Um and so for instance, if you live in a red state that has quote unquote banned abortion past 6 weeks, guess what? You are in a godless state that is okay with murdering children as long as they're under 6 weeks old. We we just need to be honest about that, no. right? Um, that that's not biblical and it's not godly. Is it better? Uh, yeah, it's better, right? And I don't think anyone argued that point. So when you start talking about causing states to collapse politically and then sending your great grandchildren in so that they can take it over for Jesus, you you're talking worldly strategies. Um, and, and then I would just yeah. argue that. That isn't like anything we see in scripture. The church pastors shouldn't even be thinking that way, right? Our strategy is to see, is, is ultimately to grow people um, into maturity 
so that they're doing the works of ministry that God has called them to, so that they are a Christian in all spheres of life. So when you vote, you vote like a Christian, not according to your favorite party. Uh, in our case, it would be red. Um, there are situations where, where, you know, a person may have to abstain from voting if you vote biblically. Yeah. I mean, I think it was R.C. Sproul <laughs> who said he wouldn't even vote for a dog catcher if they uh, were in favor of abortion. Um, and, and so we have those things, right? Um, so that's not the pastor's role. And so when a pastor, uh, not just a pastor, but when Christians start thinking, okay, my life goal now ought to be strategically how to take over blue states and make them red, right? I think our argument is that you've lost the gospel as the central focus of your life. Because the assumption is that if it's a red state, then it's more Christian. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of these guys aren't saying that. And I think a lot of people aren't necessarily believing that if you were to ask them, but that is practically what is happening. And it's practically practically what's being said, right? And this is where you get that crazy argument of, you know, whatever they're saying, so-and-so is better than transing kids. I think that's an immature, yeah. stupid quote to be sending around because no one is saying those things. Um, but the gospel is to be the Christian's focus, right? And, and our eschatology, and both of our eschatology, would understand the scripture to make it clear that as time goes on, things are going to become worse, Right. The wicked are, yeah. are going to increase in number. And but we also understand that Christ has ultimately already won the victory. And so you couldn't ask for a more positive outlook. The reason we aren't depressed as yes. Amils or pre-millennials is because we know we win. I mean, that's a pretty positive view, right? Um, yeah. because we win. But I think, but I think it's the reality of knowing things are going to get worse that keeps us well-balanced and well-focused and not easily turned away. And this is, this is, this is one of the big fallouts that I think is going to happen in this, uh, you know, sort of trying to strategize to take over states for Jesus thing is you're going to have people in the pews who in 10, 15 years when it doesn't happen, because mark my words, I guarantee you this, it isn't going to happen. You aren't going to Christianize this nation because I believe what the Bible says. May we have some spurts where it seems a little better than others? Absolutely. History just proves the ups and downs. But I think 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to have people that are all of a sudden now crushed because they picked up this eschatological view that just isn't true. And, and they're going to start to doubt scripture and doubt their faith because what they see is going to be totally different than what some of these guys, maybe even in a well-meaning way, are telling them should be true. And that's my concern is that we become just off spiritually. Um, now churches are concerned about political strategy instead of winning souls. And if you win souls, I, I just don't understand why we don't believe this or why we've forgotten this until the heart of a person is changed. You will not change anything about the way they think or believe they murder babies because their hearts are evil. They trans kids because their hearts are evil. 
They pass wicked, unjust laws because their hearts are evil. If you really want to change that, then you've got to see Christ change their heart. And that's where my pushback is coming from. Yeah, and where the eschatological views come in, and I agree with everything that you just said. Um, I, I would view scripture the same way that that you just described it. You know, I maybe I'm I, really I get premillennial. It. I don't know. <laughs> well, and and there are, there are some, and and again, I'm going to acknowledge that there are some that are not necessarily postmillennial, but agree with the yeah. kind of strategizing aspect. And I, I believe their argument would be, well, it is our goal as the Great Commission to do what we can to Christianize America, even if America never becomes Christian. And this is part of. They would argue that this is part of that. Uh, that uh, that that Christianizing America or bringing things into submission under the Lord. So uh, while not all post millennials, not all people who support this are necessarily post millennial, I think where this plays well into the post millennial view. And and let's spell this out a little bit for the for those who might be a little bit lost. When we talk about uh, pre millennial, millennial, post millennial, it's really in regards to the millennial kingdom. Um, there's a millennial kingdom that the Bible teaches, I believe, and not not everyone believes this, that that Jesus Christ establishes here on earth. And a premillennial says that uh, Jesus Christ will come first and then establish his kingdom, which means it's not here yet. And a millennial would argue that the millennial kingdom is not earthly at all, but it's a heavenly kingdom. All right, and a postmillennial would argue that the kingdom was already here. Jesus Christ does not come until after the kingdom has reached some sort of state of maturity. So that's the that's the basic difference. And as I considered these positions and thought about how it's influencing these positions, even though not all people who support this kind of movement from from blue to red are necessarily postmillennial, I think someone who's postmillennial is much more likely to support this because if your thought is that the kingdom is here now, um, then part of our responsibility is more than just preaching the gospel, but making sure that there are results all around us that help to advance the kingdom in a very tangible sense. So, I mean, if, if yeah. that's the view, I can understand why people would push for this and, and even kind of suggest these strategies that I may not necessarily agree with. Right, so I, I get it. Um, the the problem that I have, just just me personally, and I, I think you've articulated well as well, is that when I look at the Bible, I see repeated reminders from, for instance, the Apostle Paul in uh, Colossians. He says, um, "Set your mind, uh, set your mind on the things above, not on the things below." Uh, Philippians three twenty, our citizenship is in heaven. First um, Peter one thirteen, set your hope completely upon the mm -hmm. grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus, and and even as Jesus Christ is giving his final discourse to his disciples before he's arrested from John chapters 14, 15, and 16, and I just preached through those passages, Jesus is trying to encourage them by saying, I'm coming back. Okay, he starts off chapter 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back to you. Um, so there's there's a hope that's wrapped around the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why it's difficult for me to take a post-millennial kind of stance. And and until now, um, I, I have I have associated the post-millennial stance more with social justice warriors. Um, so a lot mm -hmm. of the social justice movements ha have been along the lines that we need to improve our society. We need to, you know, so YMCA and a lot of these organizations like Salvation Army, not that those organizations are evil or bad in and of itself, but they were really um, birthed uh, with this kind of post-millennial view that we need to do more to, to, to bring Christian influence into the world. 
Um, so I, I associate more with this kind of social justice element of Christianity. But I think what we've seen, and you call you called it the the neo post mill, and and I think that's that's certainly one that seems seems to describe what we're what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a social justice arm, but this is really an arm of okay, what are we doing to make sure that America does not essentially go into the gutter? There, you know, we were founded on Christian values. Um, there was a number of people that signed the Declaration of Independence who were Christian, and and so we we had a country that started off with Christian values, a constitution that had a lot of Christian influence in it. And and what are we doing to make sure that we maintain that, and even more than that, advance that so that America becomes more Christian rather than less Christian, which is where we're at right now. And so I I get it. If you're a post mill, then that would be the goal. Um, you know, but when I look at the scriptures, when I look at the testimony that I see from our apostles, when I look at the book of Acts, I just can't get there. Um, so yeah. so I, I believe, now let, let's back up in another way. In speaking through all this, let me ask you this, Nathaniel. Is it a sin for a person who is in a blue state to decide it is better for him and his family to move to a red state? Is that a sin? Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Not. Is it um is it is it a sin if a person in a red state decides not to go into a blue state with the idea of Christianizing that area? Yeah, absolutely not. Okay. Not I, I want to bring that out because a lot of people yeah. think that you're arguing one of those two things that you should go to the absolute yeah. worst place. I've seen people say, well, if you're going to say that, why don't you go to North Korea, right? Why don't you go to North Korea yeah. and be a missionary there? So this is not to say that husbands and wives, fathers and, and mothers can't come together and make a t- decision that says it is better for our family to leave this area. And I tell you what, in the state of California, you know, yeah. as they're trying to push laws that make it legal for a child to basically divorce his parents at 12, and they're trying to protect uh, this trans ideology and all that. I get it. Yeah. I mean, if someone leaves because they said, okay, that's that I am not exposing my kids to that, and we're going to leave because mm-hmm. of that, I fully support your decision. All right. Yeah. Now, on a- the other absolutely. hand, we've got, uh, there's faithful sister in Christ on, uh, on, on Twitter, her name, she goes by the name of Rank Heresy. And I bring her up because she just had a tweet recently where she said, she has no plans. That she's in California. She's good. She has no plans to leave. She's at a good church and all that. Yeah. And uh, so I just confirmed you're you're at Grace Community Church, right? <clears throat> By the way, I'm not saying that Grace Community Church is the only good church in California. Yeah. Someone asked me that, but I I, I, I many, know yeah. that she posts a lot of John MacArthur and all that. So I just confirmed you're at Grace Community Church, right? She said yes. And and you know what? If you're at Grace Community Church, and and if you have a strategy for making sure that your children are being raised up and educated the right way. And when I say the right way, they're not being, you know, exposed and indoctrinated by the state, they're not being exposed to trans ideology that you're helping them to mm-hmm. learn the right way, learn about Christ, learn about the Bible in yeah. addition to all of that. And you're at a solid church that is feeding you and your family, my argument is there's no reason for you to feel like you have to go. Um, you're yeah. in a good place. Yeah. And in fact, the best reason, and I said this in another thread, the best reason to move anywhere 
is to be a part of a solid Bible-teaching church. And Jim Osmond said the same thing yesterday. It's to yeah. be a part of a solid Bible-teaching church, because if you're there, you're being equipped for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, and you're actually very strategic. I'm going to use that word. You're very strategically oriented to be able to bring forth the gospel where it's absolutely needed. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say if you're in that situation, not that it's a sin to leave, but consider if you do leave, make sure that you're going to go to a place where you're going to be at a good church, where you're going to have the same kind of spiritual feeding and all that. So what I would say, if a person leaves a blue state to go to a red state, is that sin? Well, by itself, no. The motives could make it sin, okay? If um, if you're simply leaving because you think that uh, that that you you can't you, you can't take the environment or you think that God can't sustain you there, um, then I think you have to examine your heart. But if you're if you're looking at the environment, you're saying, hey, look, this is not good for our family. It's not not good for us. We don't like these laws and stuff like that. I get it. All right. So, but th that that's going to be a case by case basis. You got to look yeah, at your own heart. Yeah. And and at the same token, um, it, it's not mandatory for someone to stay it's not mandatory for someone to come from a blue state to a red state but you know what as other people put it and i think uh, pastor wendell brought this up he, he said you know what this question really should be less about states and more about your local area you know what are yeah. you doing in your community and i think that's a great way of putting it because quite honestly i don't know if i could endure being a pastor in one of the major cities in california uh, my wife um, grew up in san francisco after she immigrated here from china and and I've said this multiple times this past year. That city is gone. That's it. That mm, that city will yeah. never, in my opinion, and I'll be surprised if if it turns out differently. That city will never be what it once was. And the yeah. the, the the policies are, are tearing it apart. And that city will never get to a point where it needs to vote, where it will vote the way it needs to, in order to clean up its act. Now that said, there are good churches there, and I pray for them. You know, I pray that uh, they stand strong. I pray they continue preaching the gospel. So, so God has called us to different places, with different, uh, you know, different situations, and um, and, and what, which will lead us to different decisions on what we're going to do. So, do not yeah. um, do not be condescending towards those in those areas because those areas need the light of Christ. And this idea that you should rob it of the light of Christ. I don't think is biblical. And and I know yeah. people have quoted that section where Jesus says, hey, if a city rejects you, then go on to the next city. Well, but th that's in the that, that's in the realm of missionary work. In this case, we're talking about churches that are already established. Okay, the churches yeah. are established there. Um, and, and I think the example that you brought up of Ephesus is perfect here. Um, so so we, we have to we have to be more appreciative, not only of actual missionaries that may go into an area to 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 try to um, bring uh, bring salvation to the people that are there, and I've heard Toby Logsdon, um, he's up in the uh, northwest. He's he's asked, hey, send missionaries here because we need it, right? So yeah, he's not in a only tough place, yeah, yeah, not only be thankful for the missionaries who are going in there, but be thankful for the churches that are already established. That there are uh, there there's a remnant of God's people who are there, and pray that more people continue yeah. to be saved, which. Hey, I was at Grace Community Church uh, for a number of years before I was called here to Brawley, and, and that is a thriving church. And people are continually getting saved um, week after week, year after year. 
So yeah. even in a dark yeah. place, and, and they're not that far from the center of Los Angeles. They're in San Fernando Valley. It's a little bit further out from where a lot of the, the, the worst kind of activity takes place, but they're really not all that far off. And, and But in a place like that, with a church like that, with a pastoral staff like that, led by John MacArthur, people getting saved, guess what? God's name yeah. is being glorified. Yeah, and and this is one of those examples where I have heard people say things like, believers in blue states like that if they're in fact i read someone today on twitter i don't know who he is he didn't have a big account uh but he's not the only one i've seen make statements like this that um christians conservative christians who stay in states like california are are just propping it up and and keeping it alive when in reality they should leave and let it collapse and and i just listen if you're a christian and you've fallen into that view let, let me just maybe give you a different perspective. Consider the ramifications if God's people listen to um, your your view and a church like John MacArthur just packed up and left California. No. I, I, I mean, just think about what you're saying and, and the implications mm-hmm. of that. Because what you're saying is that God's people should brush their hands off and basically say, go to hell and we're okay with it because there's somewhere better we could be. I I, I, I know no one, very few think that um, it, when you're pressed, but that's the implication of, of what we're talking about, right? I mean, if MacArthur's church were to just fold up and take that kind of flea mentality so that a, a state collapses, I mean, what you're saying is take the light of Christ and hide it under a, a basket. That's what you're saying. So that the darkness will overcome people. That, that is just not a Christian sentiment. And I don't think that most people are thinking that way because they're no. thinking politically mm-hmm. strategic. But but if you start thinking about the spiritual implications, you're wishing spiritual death and evil on people. And this is why I've been pushing back so much against this view. It's not because I think Christians want that. It's that I think they aren't thinking about that. They, they've adopted worldly views that have blinded them to the spiritual reality of what they're suggesting, right? And so if you live in those states and you're thinking, man, I hate this state. I just want to go live in Texas. God bless you. Move to Texas. I have no problem with that. Um, I, I just want you to be honest about it. Um, don't yeah. try to make up some reason. You don't need a reason to move. You can walk outside one day and say, dear Lord, it is 115 degrees here. I need to move somewhere colder. And, and if God gives you the means, move. And I think you're perfectly yeah, fine, generally speaking. You have the freedom in Christ um, to do that. Yep. Absolutely. I think, but the moment you start um, telling God's people or suggesting that all of God's people should abandon a place so that it falls into utter and total darkness. Man, you've missed the point of scripture. You've missed the point of the Christian life. You, you, you can't be consistently faithful with gospel witness if that's your view. And so that's my issue with this, the, the way that things are being talked about. And I, I, I'm trying to be very careful and I don't have notes and I'm just talking, talking off the top of my head. So, you know, if you're out there thinking, 
I'm straw manning or red herring or whatever you want to say. That's not really the point. And I'm, I'm not intentionally doing any of those things. We've heard people say all of this stuff, right? And sure, some guys may not be saying it, but you know, again, you know, I, I watched Joel Webin in particular, um, and, and I understand where he's coming from, and, and I get how he's coming to some of the things he's coming uh, to uh, because of his eschatological view, or where I think he's at eschatologically. Um, but the the moment your mindset is not how do we bring the gospel. Uh, and, and the light of the gospel into a place when that's not the focus, but it's how do we politically collapse or build up this as a red or a blue state? The moment you go there, I'm going to argue you've left the the core and essential focus of Christianity in a place. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you're godless. I'm saying y- you've been sucked up into the ways of the world. And, and you're getting off track and, and that I stand firm on. And so I just kind of want to yeah. rein people back a little <clears throat> and say, look, yeah, right. you know, yeah. And that's why I gave the example of Ephesus, right? I, I think, you know, a lot of people are ignorant of the history of these churches. Um, if you don't think Paul could have told people to flee from Ephesus because it was so dark, you don't understand history and you don't understand travel. Um, it was perfect. There would have been plenty of people that could have picked up and moved their families out of Ephesus. Um, just like today, there would have been a lot of people who couldn't afford to do that. Just like today, there are people who couldn't leave California if they wanted to um, without outside help because they, they can't afford it. Right. I mean, that's just true. It's expensive to move. But Ephesus was an extraordinarily dark place. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It said that Timothy, who took over the church in Ephesus, was bludgeoned to death. He died a few days after he was literally beaten down in a perverse parade around, presumably uh, had to do with the Temple of Artemis there or Diana. Um, and, And he died several days later from the bruising. And so it was an extraordinarily dark and wicked city. By the way, worse than anything we have ever come close to in our country when you just understand the culture. So we've got to get away from this kind of monastic retreatism feel that basically says it's so bad here, so we should all flee to a more safe place. That that's that when you promote that as an entirety, right? Like when you tell people as a whole, it's dark, you should flee to safer spaces. That's not a biblical recommendation, right? It, it's really um, at the core of it, it demonstrates a practical fear of the darkness, though you may not feel that. Right? It's the idea that we 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 can't thrive in a dark place, but we can, and and we will. And this is why Jesus, you know, again the Beatitudes we went to with Jim Osmond. I mean, read the Beatitudes and tell me he's talking to people who are in just a a really nice place that's living. No. He's teaching them how to thrive in a dark place. So if you want to move, move. Um, but I don't think anyone has the right to tell people it's a strategy to all abandon or all yeah. move to if politics is that mixed. Now, if you want to talk about a spiritual strategy, man, you know what? Just imagine, and I'm not telling people even they have to do this, but I'm okay with people talking about strategically going into a spiritually dark area to bring the gospel 
because I think that's in line with scripture, right? Yeah. But even then, you can't make people go or even put any burden or pressure uh, or pressure on people as a whole to move to an area. Uh, I I think more it'd be great if more Christians moved to California. I mean, if you want to talk about spiritually how to change the environment of a state, get more real Christians in that state, and you're going to have more gospel spread. Ultimately, it's God's sovereignty, but I would still say you can't pressure, pressure Christians to do even that. It, right. it, it's it's <clears throat> got to be an issue of liberty, right? Yeah, make, um, make and, I, and I mentioned that it could be a sin based upon the motives. And then what I let me let me elaborate on that. Um, we're not to have a spirit of fear. Okay, we're we're not to fear the 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 prince of the power of the air, the the kingdom of darkness, or or the things that men do. Jesus Christ, I think it's Matthew ten twenty eight. He says, "Do not fear the one who um, can uh, can can put can kill the body, but not the soul. Rather, fear him who can kill the body and soul uh, for eternity." Um, and I'm just paraphrasing that. So. If you're going to make a decision to leave, make it rationally. Uh, make it because you're doing it. For, it's best for your family. Um, don't do it simply out of fear as if God can't sustain you. Right? Um, make a rational decision. And, and don't make a decision to leave a good church um, just because you're in a blue state and then go to a red state where you now you're going to a place um, where you haven't done research on the church you're going to be, be a part of, and you end up at, in a place where you can't find a good home church. Right, so that you don't want to be in that position either. So don't don't put yourself into spiritual jeopardy just because you're in an area that happens to be uh, tagged as a blue state. So just just yeah. be thoughtful about those things. And and you know I, I I realize that some people really hate the idea of calling it uh, you know kind of mon monastic retreatism, right? Because I, it's it's sure. not exactly monasticism. You know, obviously monks go off and they completely shield themselves off from from the entire world. Um, but I, I think the point is this, if you're just making a decision because the area is dark and nothing else, um, where, hey, look, for a lot of a lot of you guys, if you're at a good church, if your kids are being um, homeschooled, you know, you're mm -hmm. actually protected from a lot of what the state can do. Now, that may not be the case as California continues to get darker. Yeah. And I'm just using it may it change, California yeah. as an example. So by all means, evaluate what's going on, but don't do it out of, out of a spirit of fear. Do it out, out of out yeah. of a spirit of discernment. Um, do it out of a spirit of providing for your family, doing what's best for them, putting them into a place where they can best grow, right? Um, but for a lot of people, and just like I said, that one sister in Christ, she's at Grace Church. Look, I told her, you're in a much better place than you would be in the vast majority of churches in red states. And I think that's true. Right, so I mean, if you're if you're at a really good church and and your kids are in a good situation, or maybe your kids have already grown up and you don't have to worry about those things, I think there is less to worry about. Mm -hmm. um, but it still yeah. doesn't mean it's sin to leave. But I mean, yeah. think about yeah. those things carefully and think in terms of how can I best glorify God where you're going, because yeah. ultimately, the central mission of the church is to proclaim Christ. That is the central yeah. mission. Okay, That's don't make it. anything we else the central mission. That. Right. So, I mean, if you're going to go someplace else, go someplace else where you can better fulfill that central mission. Okay, don't go someplace else so that you just so you can live a better life. Yeah. Okay, that that's not that that's not our goal. Now, it's not sinful to go someplace else where you think you can better supply, yeah. where you can where you can have a better life, but that shouldn't be the main goal. The main goal is that you're going to be in a place where you can better serve the Lord Jesus Christ.
And this is where the, the issue is not whether or not you verbally agree with what you just said, because most almost everyone would. Yeah. It's whether the practical application agrees with that. I mean, it's not just orthodoxy, what we believe. It's orthopraxy, yeah. right? How we live it. And so if you say your primary concern is the gospel, but then you're strategizing on how to make a state politically right rather than politically left, then practically the gospel is not your primary concern, right, in in that. And so I think that's what we've got to watch out for um, because we can all get sucked into worldly ways. And, you know, I don't use the 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 monastic terminology um, and, and because there are some that are, I mean, kind of building communes um, and, and that, I mean, that's where I get yeah, that, the, that would be monasticism, the monastic yeah. kind of thing. Right. And I, and I'm, I try to be careful to say things like monastic like, right. Um, because it's, it is different, but I, I'm, I'm not trying to just cast, I'm not trying to be ugly. Uh, I, I'm trying to find a word that kind of encapsulates the the practicality of what's happening. No, um, right. and, and so if you don't like that, I apologize, but just know it's not done in spite. Um, but I want to read that uh, verse that you quoted and just the, the others, and maybe we leave people with this. So um, it, this won't answer all the questions. I'm sure people will have questions about things. But, you know, I, I think just, again, especially my concern is that um, while we're living Christians, living like Christians in all spheres, we make sure practically um, our, our our primary focus is to see people coming to Christ, not states collapse because they're Democrats or states go from purple to red because they're politically conservative is better. It's that my first and primary concern is, are people in these areas hearing the gospel of Christ. Um, that's got to stay our focus. And there are a lot of different ways we can talk about doing those things. Um, it, it, but, but politics just isn't, isn't one of them, right? So you quoted Matthew 10, 28, and, and this is important. I'm just going to read a several passages yeah. and let you wrap us up after this. This is important for people because this is Jesus speaking to just the very kinds of things that were talking about understanding the world we live in and how it's going is essential in this conversation. Um, so Jesus says here in Matthew, are not two sparrows sold for an Assyrian, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Let me stop there. Um, this is important because we've got to realize that the state of our country is not due to any political party. It's ultimately the sovereignty of God working in, in the way he wants to work. And most of us would agree that we are living in the, under the hand of under the uh, under God's judgment. Right. Almost everyone from every yeah. eschatological view says we're under God's judgment. We're under God's judgment. Well, I think it's time we stop to think about what that means. If that's true, and we are under God's judgment, you aren't going to politicize strategically your way out of it because God doesn't work that way. There's only been one response ever in all the history of the Bible where we can see there's only one response that has ever removed God's hand of judgment, 
when it's been repentance, right? And and so if you believe that we're under God's judgment, you're quoting Romans 1, then you also need to understand that pursuing anything other than repentance is actually just begging for God's hand of judgment to remain because it's not what he's looking for. All right, we'll, we'll just keep going. Therefore, verse 32, therefore, Everyone who confesses me before man, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Mm. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Mm. This is something we've forgotten. If you're looking for mass peace, that's just contrary to what's happening here. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemy will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. couple necessary comments the 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 point here is that those in the family who are for the gospel and against the gospel that will be what causes this division right not that god's causing us to hate one another and things like that but w- even within families right the point is that we love christ more than a- anything else and that we're trusting christ more than anything else and that we understand his sovereignty in all of this and so you believe that God's judgment is on the U.S.? I believe that too. And if we believe that, then the only solution that God has ever given and the only hope that any nation has, if it's under God's judgment truly, is that primarily the church come to repent and cry out for God. And so if you're looking for political strategies, you're missing the mark if you also say you believe we're under God's judgment. Uh, why, why don't you... Final thoughts on on that passage and and on these things. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very important truth for us to take into consideration and look <clears throat> for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ wherever you are on this kind of eschatological um, spectrum. Uh, if you're pre mill, a mill, post mill, maybe you're pan mill, you don't even care. You just think it's all going to work out at the end, right? Um, wherever you are in terms of whether you're in a blue state or a red state, whether you've moved from a blue state towards a red state for family reasons, or you've moved from a red state uh, to a blue state uh, in order to proclaim Christ, um, whatever the case may be. Um, I, I believe I have we have true brothers and sisters in Christ that cover every single um, part of what I just described there. And, and I think what we're getting at is this, do not lose sight of the central mission. Do not lose sight of where your primary focus should be. It doesn't mean that you have to stay in a place. It doesn't mean that you have to go to a place. It doesn't mean that you can't go to a place. Okay, that's not what we're saying. <clears throat> just just make sure that your life is modeled after um, the example of our Lord Jesus Christ and that you are working together with the body of Christ to do everything you can to make sure that Christ is being proclaimed wherever you are. That, that is our goal. We're seeking to glorify God. We are the body of Christ. We are continuing the work of Christ that he started. Um, he inaugurated by his work, um, specifically on the cross and in being resurrected, ascending to God's right hand. And now we are called to do his work. And so the promise from the Lord Jesus Christ is that the world will hate you, 
Okay, John 15, 18, if the world hated me, hated you, remember that it hated me first. And verse 20, if it persecuted me, it's going to persecute you. Well, look, if you're doing what the world likes, then you'll never be persecuted. Um, if you're simply just running away from a fight, and again, I'm not saying that's what everyone is doing, but if you're but if you're if your motivation is simply just to run away from a fight, then you will never understand what those verses mean. Make the main thing the main thing. We are here for the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of him who delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. That's first Peter chapter two, verses nine and ten. That is a call for everyone. Not just um, not just the pastors and and the preachers. Amen. It's a far better thing if a man can convince a sinner to come to a savior than if you can convince a Democrat to become a Republican. Amen. So, hope that this has been helpful for you guys. I we we went way longer than we intended on. Um, I, I I hope you hear especially especially my sincerity. Everyone knows Eki's sincere. Um, sometimes my things can get taken beyond what, what they were supposed to be. But, it, you know, our hearts are really just to see Christians love Christ and want to see unbelievers come to love Christ too. Um, and so that's where our hearts are. So we hope this has been helpful. And if it has, feel free to share it around. Uh, don't forget, we have a YouTube channel for those of you who like to um, watch uh, as opposed to just listen. Uh, make sure you subscribe. We'd love to see you there. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.